Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for stepping by. Welcome to the Tier 2020 fourth quarter and you're in conference call. Joining me today will be Dean Setaguchi, whose promotion to Chief Executive Officer took effect on January 1st, 2021. Eileen Marikar, Senior Vice President and Chief Financial Officer. Jamie Urquhart, Senior Vice President and Chief Commercial Officer. And Brad Locke, Senior Vice President and Chief Operating Officer. We'll begin with some prepared remarks from the management team, after which we'll open the call to questions. I'll remind listeners that some of the comments and answers that we will provide speak to future events. These forward-looking statements are given as of today's date and reflect events or outcomes that management currently expects. In addition, we will refer to some non-GAAP financial measures. For additional information on non-GAAP measures and forward-looking statements, refer to our public filings available on CDAR and on our website. I'll also point out that there's a revised investor presentation available on our website. Uh, please note that any detailed modeling questions can be handled by the investor relations team after the call. With that, I'll turn it over to Dean to kick us off. Thank you, Dan, and good morning, everyone. I want to start by acknowledging and thanking Kiera's former CEO, David Smith, who retired on December 31st from his 22 years of service. Jamie, Eileen, Brad, and I want to thank David and our board of directors for the robust executive succession planning which has set us up for future success. The COVID-19 pandemic brought several challenges to our industry and our company. Our priority continues to be the health and safety of our people and communities. I'm proud of our employees, many who have remained physically at our field locations since the onset of the pandemic. Their dedication and commitment keep our assets running safely and reliably, providing essential services for our customers. Early in the pandemic, CARE took a series of decisive actions to preserve shareholder value. These included deferring capital spending, discontinuing the drip, maintaining ample liquidity, and implementing cost reduction programs. In addition, our risk management program protected our product inventories and margins from extreme price swings in what was a volatile year for commodity prices. CARE's performance throughout 2020 demonstrates the resilience of our company. Despite the year's challenges, EBITDA was down only 7% compared to the prior year, which was a record. Distributable cash flow for the year came in at $718 million, a new record. As a result, we have entered 2021 with a solid financial position 
and no need to allocate capital to debt repayment. Shifting to our team priorities, Kiera has a long history of delivering returns for our shareholders. We've done this by being disciplined in how we allocate our capital. Kiera's value proposition will continue to be the delivery of a sustainable dividend underpinned by low debt leverage and an asset base and strategy that allows for steady growth in distributable cash flow. To deliver superior shareholder returns, we'll continue to be focused on the following. Safety and reliability, continued financial discipline, driving efficiency through technology and innovation, continued strong ESG performance, and playing an important role in the transition to a low carbon economy. I'll briefly touch on each. In terms of safety and reliability, we had outages at both our Wapiti gas plant and our AF facility this past year. The combined impact of these outages on adjusted EBITDA was approximately $45 million. Excluding these two outages, our assets ran at an average reliability rate of 98%. We can and will do better, putting more focus around our processes for prevention of unplanned downtime. Moving on to capital discipline, our conservative approach has served us well through several commodity price cycles. This will continue to be the hallmark of our company while keeping a clear focus on generating returns for shareholders. This means living within our financial framework and priorities. Eileen will speak more to this in a few minutes. Looking now at technology and innovation, our goal is to be the most efficient operator, providing a high net back for our customers. Innovation will play a major role in helping us to get there. Turning to ESG and Kira's role in energy transition, we have long believed that embracing ESG principles reduces our risk and creates value for shareholders over the long term. At Kiera, our board of directors oversees our ESG priority areas, and we've taken the step to link management compensation to ESG performance. Last year, we released our inaugural ESG report, which is aligned to SASB standards. And we have committed to setting emissions reductions targets and aligning to phase one TCFD reporting in 2021. The world's energy mix is undergoing a transition towards a lower carbon future and Kiera is well positioned to evolve with this change. We continue to look at opportunities that would leverage our existing core competencies and asset base. We see great potential in helping our customers decarbonize with initiatives like supplying and transporting solvents to reduce carbon emissions from the oil sands. To sum up, We've demonstrated our resilience in 2020 across all aspects of our business, and we're excited to keep the momentum going into 2021. The commodity markets and the outlook for our customers are improving, and we're well positioned to capture the upside of a recovery in global energy demand. As we look ahead, we intend to keep our focus on all aspects of ESG performance and transparency, and we'll continue to investigate ways that we can play an active and meaningful role in energy transition. I'll now turn over to Jamie to provide an update on our operations and major projects. Thanks, Dean. 
We announced in this morning's news release that we are revising the expected gross cost of the CAPS project to $1.6 billion, up from the original estimate of $1.3 billion. This means Kiara's 50% share of the investment would be $800 million, with the project scheduled for completion in 2023. The returns for the project are largely underpinned by contracts for more than 70% of the initial pipeline capacity, with 75% take-or-pay commitments for an average term of 14 years. This project further integrates our existing value chain by linking our gas plants located in the highly economic Montney Fairway to our condensate and NGL infrastructure in Fort Saskatchewan. In addition to generating predictable long-term cash flows, the project unlocks numerous future growth opportunities within our upstream and downstream businesses. We are excited about this project because of the superior geology in the capture area and how it significantly enhances our competitive position, provides our customers a much-needed alternative for condensate and NGL transportation. We have several catalysts in the near term that are contributing to EBITDA growth. The Gulf Coast Galena Park facility, which is designed to provide fee-for-service inline butane blending into gasoline, is now complete with full connectivity expected this month. The Wild Horse Terminal in Cushing, Oklahoma, was mechanically complete in January. Commissioning activities have begun, and the project is expected to be fully operational in mid-2021. In the gathering processing segment, the pipeline the Pipestone gas plant was placed into service five months ahead of schedule with initial throughput surpassing our expectations. We are successfully completing the first phase of our optimization plan with the safe and orderly shutdown of three gas plants in central Alberta. The optimization program continues with the planned shutdown of three additional central Alberta gas plants over the next couple of years. This program will increase overall utilization rates, drive down per unit operating costs, reduce overall emissions, and provide competitive netbacks to our customers. Going forward, our priority and focus in our gathering and processing business will be to grow earnings by striving to be the most efficient service provider. In this marketing segment, we continue to access the highest value markets for our customers while maintaining a disciplined risk management strategy. We are excited about the potential opportunities the federal clean fuel standard may present for our iso-octane business. This is one of many opportunities that we continue to investigate to increase shareholder value. I'll now turn it over to Eileen, who will run us through our financial priorities and results. Thanks, Jamie. I want to echo what Dean said earlier about our focus on capital discipline and maximizing total shareholder returns. I'll start off with a refresh of our financial priorities. Our number one financial priority remains preserving the strength of the balance sheet. This means targeting a long-term net debt to EBITDA ratio of between two and a half and three times for covenant test purposes. We believe that this conservative range will also ensure we maintain our investment grade credit ratings. We ended the year with a leverage ratio of 2.9 times. Next is to maintain the current monthly dividend with a focus on growing distributable cash flow on a per share basis, allowing for further growth in the dividend over time. We target a payout ratio of 50 to 70% and we ended the year with a payout ratio of 59%. And third, maintain our capital disciplined capital allocation, which includes evaluating investments based on returns, strategic merit, ESG considerations, and other risk factors. 
We're particularly focused on continuing to stabilize our cash flow and increasing the level of long-term take-or-pay contracts with strong counterparties. With that said, for 2020, we delivered a return on invested capital of 11.4%, within our targeted range of 10 to 15%. This was an exceptional outcome given the unprecedented events of this past year. I'll now run through select highlights from our 2020 results. Adjusted EBITDA for the year was $874 million, while distributable cash flow was a record $718 million, representing an annual increase of 21%. Net earnings were $62 million for the full year, a decrease from 2019. This was largely because of a $371 million impairment expense stemming mostly from the shutdown of gas plants as part of our asset optimization program. The gathering and processing segment delivered margin of $260 million in 2020, a decrease of 12% compared to the prior year because of lower overall volumes, fee reductions at certain plants in the south region, and unplanned outages at the Wapiti gas plant. We delivered yet another record year in our liquids infrastructure business with realized margins hitting $399 million, representing more than 40% of overall company realized margin. This strong performance can be attributed to the high level of take-or-pay contracting and high-quality customers. And our marketing segment delivered a realized margin of $295 million for the full year, $5 million below the bottom end of the previously provided guidance of $300 million. This was the result of recognizing $12 million in realized hedging losses for which the inventory remained unsold at year end. Higher margins will be realized in Q1 2021 when the product is sold. Turning now to guidance for 2021, we still expect growth capital to be between 400 and 450 million, with the majority of this amount anticipated to be directed to construction of the CAPS pipeline system. The increase in the cost estimate for the CAPS project does not affect capital guidance for 2021. Kiara's portion of the CAPS project will be funded through a combination of internally generated cash flow and incremental debt. 2021 maintenance capital is expected to be between 25 million and 35 million and we are guiding cash tax expense to be between $20 million and $30 million. For the marketing segment, we expect to achieve the base realized margin of between $180 million and $220 million. However, further guidance will be provided with our first quarter results. With that, I'll hand it over to Dean for some closing comments. Thanks, Eileen. Over the past year, Kiara has dis- demonstrated our resilience. This is a testament to our culture and the dedicated efforts of the people at all levels of our organization who come to work every day committed to safety and giving their best. Looking ahead, Kiara will continue to be a safe, reliable, and sustainable operator and continue to focus on generating value for our shareholders. We're excited about the future and we're confident we have the culture, people, and assets to succeed for decades to come. On behalf of Kiara's Board of Directors and our management team, I thank our employees, customers, shareholders, 
and other stakeholders for their continued support. With that, I'll turn it back to the operator for Q&A. As a reminder to ask a question, you need to press the pound. your cushion, press the pound. Your first question from line is Rob Hope from Scotia Bank. Morning, everyone. First question's on CAPS. A little bit of an echo. Okay. We've seen an increase in the cost estimate. However, you have seen that return on capital on capital what's driving what's the continued guidance to that return profile? profile are you able to pass through higher, higher cost through tolls, through tolls or are you seeing are you know, better than expected volume given the commodity price environment thank you very much for the question Rob. 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 hi Rob it's uh, it's Dean um, thanks for the question and um, you know, overall, we still believe the, you know, the, the project is is, uh, is needed for the basin. I mean, again, there's need for, for competition. If you look at the overall fundamentals of what's happening in the basin is that, you know, I think we're, we, we get mired sometimes in what, what just happened in the pandemic. But if you look at the bigger macro, um, you know, certainly we're seeing much better fundamentals, as you can see in the forward markets and the, and the spot markets for, uh, for both natural gas uh, crude oil, and, and we also think that propane is uh, is going to be pretty robust in the years to come. So, you know, when we look at our at our customers and what their plans are, yes, in the near term, um, they are repairing their balance sheets. But, you know, as we look forward, um, you know, certainly they do ex plan to expand their programs. And I think part of the, the bottlenecks that we've historically had in our basin all relates to egress. You know, so when you look ahead at the uh, expansions on NGTL, um, you know, coastal gas link uh, being built and in, in service, you know, towards uh, the middle of, of this decade, you know, which is only, you know, another four years out. And then you start thinking about, um, you know, also the expansions on, uh, on for crude oil on TMPL and, uh, and Line 3 and, and other small bo bottlenecks. Um, you know, that really, um, you know, frees up a lot of the, uh, you know, the, uh, the reserves that can hit the market, um, both for crude oil and natural gas. So again, you know, just just way, the way we look at the project, the contracts that we have in place already, um, you know, when we look at the basin and what's happening, we think that this is a tremendous project. But at the end of the day, you know, we uh, we won't be incurring significant expense until the middle of the year. So um, you know, we we expect to have a formal sanctioning um, before that time. Your next question line of Patrick Kinney with National Bank Financial. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, it looks like the echo is still there. Um, Dean, just wondering if you could distill the uh, $300 million increase. Um, I know that there was an updated budget for CAPS coming because of the deferral of the project, but... Um, you know, $300 million for just a one-year pushback uh, during what is obviously a fairly slow time for the industry in general. So I know you reference pipeline construction competition, uh, but the big ones like CGL and TMX, I mean, those we would have known uh, for a while. So again, just wondering if you could uh, walk us through how you get to the, the $300 million increase. 
Hi, Pat. Yes. So I'm just going to repeat the question um, just because uh, it sounds like there's an echo in your end. We can't hear it uh, on our end, but the question was um, just to provide more details on the $300 million increase uh, associated with the CAPS project. So I'll turn that over to Brad Locke. Sure. Um, so I think uh, as we went through the um, the reforecasting of the cost, of the cost with the one-year delay, um, certainly a component of the cost increase was related to that delay. But certainly the biggest uh, the biggest component of that was the activity that's existing on pipeline construction projects. You talked about TMX and coastal gas link. Um, those are big pieces, and they draw on the same resources that. Um, while they're different contractors, they, and many of them draw on the same resources that we would be using for um, for our project. So, so as we've advanced uh, our contracting strategy, these costs have come to to fruition. Uh, the nice thing is we are uh, in the process of securing all of our contractors for the construction activity and making sure that we are ready to hit the numbers that we have uh, that we have landed on right here. So we have strong confidence in those numbers um, to execute through to 2023. Okay, that's helpful. Thanks, Brad. Um, and then just, I guess, with respect to the overall health of, of the customer base and, you know, Dean, you pointed out uh, commodity prices moving in the right direction, but, you know, the, the carbon tax is also uh, moving moving up as well over the, the coming years. So could you just provide a bit more clarity as to, you know, what $170 carbon tax uh, per ton could mean for gas processing economics um, and if you have flow through provisions you know how meaningful could this be on your customer netbacks and then I know it's still early days but you know as you look towards energy transition what are some of the projects you might have in the hopper to help reduce emissions at some of your larger plants a hey, uh, great question um, uh, Pat and uh, you know your question was really Largely related to um, what does a $170 carbon tax uh, mean to our GMP business, and what does that mean for maybe our overall industry and our and our customers? Um, great question. You know, and, and I guess uh, really what it emphasizes to us is that uh, it's going to drive a lot of efficiency in our basin, and um, and you know, so it really emphasizes the steps that we're already taking uh, to drive that efficiency. It, it makes it even more valuable. So what we're doing with our optimization program, again, to direct the gas uh, in our self portfolio to our most efficient facilities and driving um, higher throughputs, right, because it's intensity-based sort of calculation. And so we're, I feel like we're already on the path uh, to, to achieving that already, and, and that's what's going to have to happen across uh, our whole industry. You know, the fact that we have inter interconnected uh, um, facilities by pipe gives us an advantage to do that. If, if you have a, you know, one-off facilities and you have low utilization, I, I think that's really going to hurt uh, a lot of those players. So again, it's going to be a, a lot about efficiency, high utilization, and, and at those remaining facilities that we have, now we have the scale to now make investments there to continue to reduce our, our uh, carbon footprint. And maybe, uh, Brad, if you want to elaborate any further on that. Yeah, I think we. Uh, I mean, we see we see lots of opportunities within our uh, our um, gathering and processing efficiency um, efforts right now uh, with consolidation, and certainly from a from a project execution side to to reduce our carbon intensity. Um, 
So as we advance our strategy and, and lead towards a, a target um, through 2021, uh, a lot of those uh, will become identified and, and, uh, and become part of our long-term plan. Okay, great. Okay, and great. <clears throat> last one. Sorry, last one for me, if I could, just um, maybe for Eileen. Looks like the overall decommissioning liability is up, you know, fifty million dollars year over year to to three hundred, and plus you've got the incremental one fifty now to spend on caps. Just curious if you've had any uh, recent conversations with S and P just to to reaffirm the stable credit rating. Yeah, good question, Pat. Um, we continue to have conversations with S and P. We actually did uh, the Treasury team met with them last week, and yeah, so far, you know, they're they're very positive on our story, and you know, we 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 certainly feel confident with with that relationship and the rating at this time. Okay, great. Thanks for that. Your next question line of Ben Palm with PMO. Okay, thanks. Good morning, everybody. Uh, not sure if you answered this earlier. It's a bit of an echo in some of the questioning. I wanted to tie up some loose ends on on caps. Uh, you've reaffirming the the 10 to 15 percent uh, return despite the capex increase. Is there is there provisions in the contracts you can recover the capex overruns from shippers, or is there some other uh, positive delta you've seen since you've announced the project? Yeah, Fam, it's Jamie Urquhart. No, there, there, our intent is not to pass through the increased cap, uh, the capital costs to our shippers. Um, you know, really, the, the the confidence that we have with respect to hit, hitting that return on capital range is um, based on our existing contracts and also our, our forecast with respect to being uh, able to contract additional volumes based on conversations that we've had with producers over the last three to six months. Okay, a lot of good commentary on energy transition. Yet, ESG report you put out, and you announced some of the, the solar procurements as well. Uh, on top of what you you said there, and uh, your, your opex reductions on on the gas processing, reducing emissions. Is there any anything else you, you can share at this moment on how you you plan to uh, move along with energy transition and reducing carbon emissions broadly? Yeah, well, you know, without getting into too much specifics, obviously, as Brad alluded to, we see some some, some meaningful projects at at our gathering processing facilities. You know, we've we've touched before on on hydrogen. We're we're um, looking at hydrogen in a in a very meaningful way with respect to the piece of land that we happen to have up in Fort Saskatchewan and a pipeline that we have that's in hydrogen that um, is rated for hydrogen service. It's in a different service right now that connects. Port Saskatchewan to the Strathcona area in Edmonton. Um, you know, we um, we have opportunities that we're looking at at um, AEF with respect to the clean fuel standards that I touched on in, in our remarks. Um, those are the big rocks that we're looking at right now. We should also point out, too, that... Sorry, Ben. We should also point out, too, that we already do um, carbon capture and, and sequestration already with our acid gas injection, which we have at... Uh, four or, facilities, yeah. yeah, four facilities. So um, that's something that we do already, and I think carbon capture and sequestration obviously will be, um, you know, also a bigger solution in the future. Okay. And my my, my last one, uh, you had some, had some I think newish disclosures on on take or pay exposure, the forty percent. I wanted 
to clarify, you, you just taking the your face value EBITDA for for 2020 while normalizing for the the base marketing. Hi Ben. Uh, so the the take or pay is based on our overall realized margin, including the actual results for marketing in 2020. Okay. So if you if you if you normalize for marketing, then it's your take or pay is probably more north of 50 percent. Then that that's correct. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. Our next question line of Matthew Taylor with Tudor Pickering Holt and Company. Hey, thanks for taking my questions here. This one's probably for Eileen. Um, on, on funding, you, you've talked about your targeted leverage range, but previously you've also talked about the potential to exceed here during caps. Can, can you just refresh your thinking on that? Um, has your funding plan changed at all in light of this CapEx increase and and then a follow-on to that question, would you be willing to bring on another partner to reduce the financial risks? Um, thanks, Matt. Yeah, good question. So, as we noted, the growth capital for 2021 remained unchanged. So, it's still that 400 to $450 million, even with the increase to the overall cost for caps. So, yeah, as we said before, you know, we're okay to go over um, our conservative target range of two and a half to three times for a period of time while we build out caps, as long as there is a path down to the target range. So there are tools that, that are available to us, like hybrids or preferred shares, but hybrids in particular that have recently been issued at very attractive rates. So that is something that we, we may consider as well in the future. And then on the partner question, is, is that something that, that you'd be willing to do or are you comfortable still being at 50-50? At, at this point, we're comfortable with 50-50, but again, you know, partners and, and our overall portfolio, it's something that we evaluate all the time, so there's nothing more to say at this point. Okay, great. And then one more on capital allocation. So with your dividend yield at 7% today, and like I already mentioned, leverage is in good shape, might start tracking up here over the build cycle. How are you thinking about restarting dividend growth versus retaining cash to help fund caps as, as you go through this build cycle. Any thoughts on, on dividend would be helpful? Uh, um, you know, as we said, we're committed to the dividend and given the low payout ratio, uh, maintaining that current dividend is, is very sustainable. Our focus is really on growing distributable cash flow on a per share basis. So, you know, in order to look at increasing a potential, the potential dividend, um, we would need to see some sustained recovery for the industry as well before making that commitment. Great. Thanks. That's it for me. Next question line to Robert Cattler with CIB Capital Markets. Rob Cattler, CIBC Capital Markets. Um, I just have a couple of quick follow-ups on CAPS. Uh, the first one being I just want to clarify that, in fact, yeah, the change in the uh, cost estimate is entirely due to uh, higher costs as opposed to any change in scope. Uh, can you just uh, clarify that first? Yeah, Robert, that is confirmed. The scope still remains exactly the same as we've been describing all the way along. Okay, and then what has to happen then to uh, to reach the formal uh, sanctioning decision before um, sort of relative to your, your prior final investment decision and the one-year uh, delay? 
Yeah, I mean, for us, um, we uh, you know we just look at all factors. Uh, you know, all the capital discipline that we we've described. We'll go into you know presenting it back to our board in uh, before the summertime, and uh, to, to get a thank, final sanctioning decision. But you know, we are all teed up for this project, so it is ready to go. But it's uh, it is subject to a final sanctioning de decision uh, prior to the summer. Right. So th this is entirely Kiara just being proven with the capital uh, as opposed to any customer commitments uh, having runoff or anything like that. That's correct. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I just want to square uh, some of your comments, your optimism on the, uh, on the, on the volumes that uh, might eventually uh, flow, flow to caps um, and grow over time and square that with everything we're hearing from uh, the producers about their intentions to keep production flat. You know, obviously, um, the pricing environment and netback environment is better. Um, so, um, is it just a question of uh, what you know, maybe some discipline by the producers in the short term to square up the balance sheet, and, and then longer term uh, a little bit more optimism. And so, maybe in that context, uh, you can comment what a reasonable range of uh, throughput change is for uh, 2021 in that context. Right. I just caught the last. I missed the last part of your question. Uh, could you just repeat that, please, Rob? Sure. Uh, it just uh, the last part was, what would a reasonable range of throughput change in 2021 be in light of your view of producer activity? Are you just talking about uh, caps? Are you talking about just our GNP? No, or GNP. GNP. Um, well, you, you know, I mean, we are... We, we always say we're cautiously optimistic. And, uh, you know, after going through a year like, like 2020, obviously we, it was a year where we had virtually no drilling, you know, and you saw what happened. And, and obviously we had some volume declines at our, in our base facilities. Uh, what we're seeing now is, I would say, stable to slightly growing. And, and uh, remember, remembering that the price rebound has only been sort of in play for the last, the last two or three months. So, you know, Producers are obviously going to be prioritizing, um, you know, just repairing their balance sheets and making sure that that's uh, that's strong first. But um, you know, when you look at the economics from the from the environment we just came in last year to where they are in a, you know, mid to high 50s WTI price, which translates to a high condensate price, uh, upper two dollars for um, for ACO, and uh, you know, pretty robust. Forward strips on, on both commodities, even though they're backward dated today. Um, the fundamentals of what's happening, uh, you know, just the world where everybody, I think, is is being uh, more cautious about drilling. So I think that's going to keep, it's likely to keep uh, supply a bit more in check, especially on the U.S. side of the border. Um, you know, the Biden administration and some of the, uh, you know, regulations that, that uh, he's imposing, I think it levels the playing field a lot more for, for our Canadian hydrocarbons. And, and again, you know, I, I, I've said this before, but you think about the, the long reserve life, which is measured in the hundreds, you know, 100 plus years for both natural gas and crude oil. Um, you know, the, the issue in, in Canada has never been our resource base. And I'd argue that it's globally competitive in terms of the marginal cost to produce it as well. Um, you know, I see companies like CNQ that can. Uh, you know, that can maintain their dividend and uh, all their maintenance cap at 31 to $32 WTI. I'd like to see another company on the planet that can do that. So I think it just speaks to, you know, what we can accomplish in this basin. And yes, we, we have to collectively work together to 
make it more efficient and uh, decarbonize so that we have the best product, which also means the lowest carbon uh, you know, intensity product. And, uh, and I think we're going to work collaboratively as an industry to, to, to make that happen. You, you know, when you look at our, at our um, sort of capture area, especially for GNP, and a lot of the focus is on the south area where, again, we've, we've uh, been hurt in terms of our overall performance. Um, you know, the, the fundamentals there specifically are much better, again, with the outlook for natural gas, uh, propane in particular. And the other thing is, is that we've done a lot, made a lot of efforts to make our processing fees a lot more competitive. So when you add all that together, again, our fees relative to uh, commodity prices today, the economics in that area are very, very good. And, uh, you know, I would focus on the likes. I mean, there's a number of private companies in that area, but look at Spartan and what they're doing. And, um, you know, so, so generally, you know, the feedback that we get from our producers is that the results um, that they're getting from their wells now are, are better than expectations in both cost and performance. So I think that's promising. Um, you know, even since December, our, our, uh, some of our producers are expanding their programs. And I'm not suggesting it's in a gigantic way, but they're adding, you know, a well here, a couple wells there. So I would say once you get into um, the next winter, especially if, uh, you know, this sort of price range sustains, I think you will see more activity, and, and again, it just—it's a factor of all the producers having uh, better balance sheets and uh, and more free cash flow. Yeah, that's a, that's a very impulsive answer. Uh, thank you very much for that. Uh, last question I just had was on um, uh, the ability for AEF to benefit from the clean fuel standards and what that might look look look, look like. Are we talking about just uh, more local sales? or there blending or capital opportunities available um, uh, in that vision as well? Rob, it's Jamie. Um, <clears throat> not to be flippant, but all of the above. Um, it's, it's early days with respect to, you know, understanding the, the clean fuel standard and really the impact that it will have on, on our business. But we, we are, based on our um, initial view, um, discussions with some consultants that we're confident uh, um, have been involved in, and are very up to speed on on that um, program. Um, we are going to be involved in in reaching out to government here during the review period to uh, understand that more. But um, yeah, there there are opportunities um, at that facility to increase efficiency. Um, we we certainly see as a clean burning fuel additive that um, you know there there's um, more potential for more blending opportunities, and you hit the nail on the head. Is if we can if we can find uh, sales that are not down in the Gulf Coast, which has traditionally been one of our our bigger markets, we can save significant costs on transportation costs. We we spend over 55 million dollars a year transporting isooctane down to the Gulf, and uh, you know the. Uh, if we can find a fraction of that to to be located um, to supplement existing relationships um, or new relationships within Canada, that that's a significant value contributor to this organization. We also believe that potentially we can also firm up contracts and extend the duration of contracts um, that will also create value for our shareholders. Okay, excellent. We'll just uh, have to wait and see what it sounds promising. Thank you. Next question from Robert Kwan with RBC Capital Markets. 
Great. Good morning. Um, if I can come back to CAPS, and if you're not flowing uh, higher capital costs through to your shippers, um, I guess just arithmetically, it must mean that you've got a greater outlook for EBITDA to maintain the range. So I'm just wondering if you've got additional specifics on how you get there. Are you planning on charging new contracts a higher toll, more uninterruptible, or, or do you expect just higher volumes than, than you originally expected on the line, kind of in that 2025 uh, time frame? Yeah, uh, Robert, as, as we said before, I mean, you know, our plan is not to, we want to make sure the tolls are competitive, so we aren't planning to um, to increase our, our our tolls for this increase. But but overall, I mean, you know, again, we, we talk to our, our customers and, and, you know, again, I, you know, I think people get mired on on what is happening today. It is 2021. This this uh, pipe would come into service in 2023, and we're talking about a time horizon that extends decades beyond that. And um, so, you know, again, I guess I guess it boils down to a, a point of view. And and again, we're we're basing it also with the discussions that we have with our customers that they don't plan to keep their production flat for, for forever. Um, some of them have commitments on, uh, you know, to deliver through, um, you know, the owners of, of Canada LNG, um, you know, all the NGTL expansions. If you look at the expansions that are being added for crude oil, so, you know, I think that would be a, a very pessimistic view to think that all that pipe capacity that's getting added is going to be all empty. Um, the other thing I'd point out is that, you know, the capacity, if you look at the, the combined forecast for, um, for NGLs in our province, and if you think of the capacity of peace and you think about the capacity of uh, of our pipeline, the CAPS pipeline, our our our, our pipeline is going to represent about 25% of the uh, of the total capacity. So when we think about you know the future, um, do customers want to diversify their service offering, both for commercial reasons but also for operational reasons? And can we capture 25% of of that market? Um, you know so. You know, we we have to obviously take a longer range view and and on all these things and and take all the macro data. We have to take the feedback we get from shippers and customers, and we have to put all that together. and And that's what that's what we're doing to make our final decision. Got it. But I guess I understood. And correct me if I'm wrong. That the 10 to 15 percent was a range you put out of the gate at the time. I think it was 2024, but in the mincing years, 24, 25 is about the same. So what has changed between that pre-pandemic guidance and today um, to offset the, the $300 million cost increase? Yeah, I mean, you know, we, we did extend um, from 2024 to 2025 with our one-year deferral last year. So that's the difference between the sort of us hitting our, our target rate uh, of return. Um, you know, we do have all of our shippers that are still committed to, uh, you know, the contracts that were deferred from a year ago, so we have that. You know, basically what it boils down to is, um, you know, there's a wedge that we have to we have to capture that's in addition to our contracts to, to hit that return, and we believe that we can do it, but we're very clear that we, we do need to uh, contract additional volumes to make that happen. Can you expect, I guess, more contracting than you previously did? Yes, that's right. Um, I guess just to finish here, uh, recognizing you buy on other indices, um, is there an impact, though, from the increased butane price that we've seen, particularly at 
fun way, whether you think about, you know, your, your near-term results, you know, Q1, or do you see that influencing um, the NGL year negotiations? Robert, it's Jamie. Yeah, so our contract season is it's progressing well. Um, from a macro perspective, as you allude to on, on the butane side, um, uh, you know, yeah, the butane prices in, in the Gulf are, are very strong right now. Um, um, you're, you're not seeing that same level of strength in Western Canada, frankly. Um, you know, we're, we're at a higher storage level than we would typically see in Western Canada. Um, uh, I caution that, you know, we wouldn't expect to be contracting at levels that we might have seen a couple of years ago during the 19 contracting season. We saw that that market corrected itself very quickly. Um, barrels found their way out of Western Canada in, into the U.S. But um, certainly right now, um, you know, we're, we're pleased with respect to uh, um, uh, the results of our contracting season to date. Got it. And, and just in terms of, to finish here, the comment in the MDNA around um, softness in the ISO Octane yeah, market in the first half of the year, is that just for demand for the product itself, or is that a comment that includes um, the butane side of the equation? Well, yeah, you know, I mean, it's it's more the the commodity, but I, I wouldn't. There's not a softness in the demand for the product. Um, there's just a there's a, a little bit of an overhang on octane in North America that's causing a little bit of softness um, that we're seeing get worked through the system. Um, as, as we expect uh, demand to pick up for gasolines, and you're seeing that in the RBOB cracks, that's part of it. I think the fact that um, Biden got elected and he's revoking some, uh, some relief from refineries around their obligations to meet um, renewable standards, um, that's also putting some upward pressure on RBOB cracks. Um, but you know, there, there's uh, uh, you know an effective rollout of the vaccine. There's optimism in the market with respect to demand for gasolines. And you know, and we see even last year when there was between the first wave and the second wave, there's a pent up demand for people to get out of their homes. And frankly, um, air, we just see a penchant for people traveling via their vehicles rather than than the air. And uh, you know, our, our expectations in the summer driving season is we're going to see a, a, a strong driving season, and that's really what's driving our Bob cracks, but also our view on, on the demand for octane. Um, that overhang, in our opinion, is, is, is already being um, corrected, but um, you know, we, we'll, we expect to be more back into a normal environment by Q3. That's great. But thank you very much. Next question, line of Praneet Satish with Wells Fargo. Hey, thanks. Just um, just one quick question for me. Uh, when you signed up for the solar PPA, was there any appetite to, you know, maybe build this in house or enter into a JV? Um, did you look into the returns? Uh, did they make sense? Yeah. To, to be clear, the, the the solar deal is a contract for difference. So uh, we basically procured electricity at a certain price and also um, are, are given are granted the environmental attributes and. Um, you know, frankly, that that deal that was uh, over a year in the making is is a much more attractive deal than it was, um, you know, when we signed it. Very pleased with that deal. Um, you know, we're our 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 focus is always to um, you know 
Um, find good partners if they're, you know, they've got expertise where we don't. It's not to say that at some point in the future, um, you know, we wouldn't, based on partnerships that we've established, um, look to, um, you know, get into different lines of business if it made sense. Not saying in this case that it would necessarily make sense. Um, but it just makes, we've got a, a very reputable partner in this project. We feel very good about that partnership. Um, but um, needless to say that this is not, you know, we're, we're continuing to look at um, opportunities to get involved in, in renewable power. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the leverage off of, leverage off of uh, Samsung's uh, expertise, I think, is important. I mean, this is not our, our area of expertise. We're able to capture the economic benefits, including the, uh, you know, the environmental credits, too, that, that, that come with it. So, um, overall, we're very, very pleased with the, uh, with the arrangement that we have with them and the partnership we have. Got it. Thanks. Next question, line of Linda, Aslick Release with TG Securities. Thank you. I uh, just want to follow up on uh, the outlook for marketing, uh, recognizing that you'll uh, give more guidance in the first quarter report, uh, recognizing that, um, you know, the contract, uh, some of the commentary uh, you gave on the, co the, the contract season and, and how it's looking. But can you give us a little bit more of an understanding as to uh, what factors uh, might um, uh, bring that uh, realized margin to the top of the range versus the bottom, and then um, what might also prompt you going above that range potentially again in 2021? Well, um, I'm, not, I'm not sure what more specifics, frankly, we can share with you. Is that um, you know, like, um, yeah, like I mean. You know, we we touched on the fact of of sort of our ISO octane business and and the fact that we've seen um, you know a, a significant run up in WTI over the last month in particular um, that everybody's aware of. We continue to be disciplined on our risk management program. Um, so I think one of the things that we caution is that it it it, it or for people to think about is is that it, it was highly effective as the market came off, but we've been very disciplined throughout the last six to nine months in, in layering in um, sales as the market's improved as well. So um, just caution people from looking at a prompt month of $58 and thinking that that's where, you know, Q1's going to land us. But, um, you know, certainly, um, you know, we, we, our, our risk management program has some opportunity to take advantage of those higher prices um, towards the latter part of, of this year. And that's, that's, Positive. Um, Arbob cracks, as we mentioned, have strengthened significantly as well, based on the fundamentals that I mentioned and the premiums that we get for the ISO octane as a result of uh, the fundamentals of octane continue to improve as well. So, um, you know, just a positive uh, view for ISO octane. Um, touched on butane a, a little bit. Propane pricing very strong. That helps our GMP business and the economics of our producers, but also, um, you know, uh, supports our our, uh, our program on the propane side, and then being alluded to, condensate pricing very strong as well, um, and and driven off of um, you know a, a slight discount or on occasion a premium to to WTI. So you know right now uh, all commodities um, you know um, feeling good. Uh, we're we're our risk management program is is uh, is going to be um, as it has in previous years 
helping us to secure um, a, a positive outlook for 2021. Uh, thank you. And then, uh, maybe, uh, maybe, uh, sorry, Linda, more sorry, go ahead. Of um, um, how you're thinking about the uh, capital allocation possibilities over the next year, recognizing that some of your energy transition opportunities are in the early stages. Um, I'm, I'm wondering when you expect to kind of replenish your uh, growth back backlog beyond CAPS. Um, you deferred a ni your 19th cavern previously. What factors would need to be in place to resume that? When you, might you see um, opportunities related to CAPS manifest themselves, uh, which you touched on as well? And uh, can you talk about the where you're seeing the opportunities, if that might potentially include uh, your toehold in the U.S. geographically? Maybe I'll start, and then we can give it to Jamie after that, Linda. Uh, so as to capital allocation, certainly, you know, with CAPS, assuming we continue on with the construction in the second half of the year, that is what we would be, we would be committing to. And again, you know, keeping in mind the balance sheet and how we've um, committed to fund it. So that would be our focus. Um, so, and, and as we've said before, you know, we're committed to the dividend, et cetera. But looking at other projects and what we need to see, um, maybe I'll turn it to Jamie. Yeah. So, yeah, we've, we've never been shy about sharing our vision and, and the strategic nature of CAPS and, and uh, the, 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 the opportunities we see not only downstream but also upstream. Um, but, you know, on the downstream side, uh, you know, we, we uh, you know, do continue to, you know, the analogy I'd use is that CAPS is like the arteries that are pumping blood to the heart. Like, I mean, we're, we just see um, and we continue to talk to our customers with respect to what opportunities, um, you know, we can provide to them for their product that's flowing through CAP that leverage off our existing um, infrastructure or, um, and whether that's um, expanding our infrastructure, contracting in different fashions that would be beneficial to our customer but also beneficial to Kiera and our, and our um, shareholders. Um, you know, just can't get into details, but we certainly continue to be encouraged by the opportunities that we, we discuss with our customers. On the U.S. side, um, you know, I think the U.S., we, uh, you know, it made sense for us to, uh, to you know, initiate the, the U.S. strategy that we have, and we're happy with it. It, it was really to, to ensure that we continue to have egress for our, our products, and, and uh, certainly the projects that we've um, taken on with Wild Horse and Oklahoma Liquids Terminal, our Galena Park um, um, asset, um, you know, those are all um, landing spots for commodities out of Western Canada, and, you know, we, we continue to see the benefit of that. But I, I, I would um, probably telegraph that, you know, we, we, that, that's mission accomplished, at least for, for the time being. Um, you know, the, the, you know, we, 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 we telegraphed at our investor day just over a year ago now that you know, we want to prove um, those assets out. Um, so we're, once again, to reiterate, we're happy with the, you know, the, 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 the business thesis and, and what we're seeing from those assets, but you know, it's not our intention likely to have a focus around capital spend in the U.S. Let, let me just expand on, on Jamie's comments is that you know, our, our, our first priority is to um, maximize the, the um, profitability of what we have already. And so some of that is including some of the new assets that are coming online. 
Um, and, and so, you know, it's optimization, things like that, and, and also capturing new growth in the basin as it happens, because we do have extra capacity. We, we've talked a lot about, you know, sort of post-caps is that we, we plan to direct, um, you know, most of our, our growth capital downstream to our downstream business where we have, um, you know, stronger barriers to entry, and, um, and it's, it's obviously a very profitable part of our business. So, but the other thing is, is, you know, to some of Eileen's points is that we want to also drive, um, you know, sort of more like a stronger contracted return, uh, base contracted return, just, just where our cost of capital is today. So, um, you know, to the extent that we need more frack and storage in the future, we're going to make sure that, you know, we have, uh, you know, a satisfactory level of long-term underpinning to make those investments. Uh, we've talked a lot about, um, you know, just sort of our heartland lands and, you know, Jamie talked about it and, you know, again, you know, I think that this is, you know, the best developed land, industrial heartland, you know, where it's situated, pipe connectivity, the underground storage uh, rights that we have there, proximity to the Alberta carbon trunk line to do carbon capture sequestration. And again, you know, Jamie des described the pipe that we have that's uh, rated for hydrogen. So you know, I think in terms of some of the, um, you know, pursuing a, a, a hydrogen solution, possible there. There's also some other bio or pet cam opportunities that, that uh, you know, we could also pursue there. And then we also talked about AEF and some of the potential there to expand, uh, sorry, to enhance our profitability. So those are just some of the, you know, highlights of things that we'll be looking for in the future. Thank you. And uh, maybe as an operational question, um, wondering which quarters the Brazo River and Zeta Creek gas plants have their turnarounds this year? Uh, Linda, this is Brad. They're both scheduled for Q2 this year. Great, thank you. Next question line of Chris Tellet with Barclays. Hi guys, my questions have all been asked at this point. Thank you. Thanks, Chris. Next question. That was Your easy. Next question. <laughs> question line Andrew Kuski with Credit Suisse. Thanks. Good morning. Um, maybe just focusing on the quarter you just reported. If you could give us some color across your businesses on the beginning volumes and, and commodity impacts and how the businesses were performing versus the exit rate. And then just given some of the risk management comments on this call, are volumes more important to you in the first half of this year and then maybe commodity pricing in the back half of the year? Yeah, um, I'll uh, I'll take a first stab at your your uh, your question. Um, you know, when you look at 20, 2020, very very unique year. I mean, uh, I, I I mean I think we almost forget what we faced last year. And and when you get a, a a demand shock of the magnitude that we saw over a short period of time, um, it's you know there's obviously a lot of uncertainty in a lot of different ways for the whole. Uh, energy sector, uh, and, and obviously that also translates to our base in here in Canada. Um, you know, overall, from the front end of our business, the, the GMP business, as I mentioned before, I mean, we had very, very little drilling, uh, like the last three quarters of the year. So obviously, you know, some decline set in, um, and uh, and we saw that in our volumes. And uh, you know, we had to provide some short-term relief uh, for some of our customers in the north, just to get through, again, a, a really uncertain time. But uh, we also provided some fee relief to our southern customers, too, to be, you know, more competitive. And, um, you know, now 
you know, and I'll just stick with that business now as we exit the year, uh, as I mentioned, you know, we're starting to see stabilization and some growth. Okay, and, and uh, that growth, um, I wouldn't say is robust at this point, but at least the trajectory for the volumes has, has sort of flattened. And uh, I believe that we're going to start to see a bit of growth as we, as we go through the year. Um, customers are, are cautious because they want to be careful with their balance sheets. But again, in this price environment, economics are very strong in both our North portfolio and our South GMP portfolio. So we're fairly pleased about that. And the other thing is, is obviously we're seeing uh, consolidation amongst the, um, amongst the, uh, you know, the producers. And I think that's uh, translating to stronger counterparties. But they're also, um, you know, the needs that they are, or what, what's valuable to them is, is more optionality. And I think with our integrated service offering, we're able to offer them that, that optionality that they, that they desire. Um, if you look at our liquids uh, business, it performed very, very well last year. And, um, you know, it's, it, it's, it's really tied to the strength of our long-term contracts with our oil sand services for dealing handling storage. Um, you know, our, our fractionation business uh, was very strong with very high utilization rates. Uh, again, again, you know, it's a, it's a core strength of our business with, with higher barriers to entry. So, you know, certainly we expect that uh, business to continue to perform well in, uh, in 2021. And, um, and then, uh, you know, finally our marketing business. And, and you know, uh, we've talked a lot about the effectiveness of our risk management program. So, the first quarter of last year, we had a tremendous quarter, the best quarter we've ever had for marketing. And um, obviously, throughout the rest of the year, with, with falling commodity prices um, and, and the lack of demand, a lot of that related to, uh, you know, Arbob or gasoline and, and octanes, um, you know, that translated to lower results as we, as we went through the year. Um, you know, Jamie can, you know, Jamie's talked about a little bit about 2021. From a macro perspective, you know, commodity prices are much stronger. You know, could there be some short-term hiccups or blips to that? Yeah, of course. But I think with the higher commodity prices, generally that's obviously a tailwind for our, our marketing business. Combined with that, you know, what we see in terms of some, you know, our recontracting, which we're not complete yet, but we will update that in, in our May conference call. Um, you know, that looks, um, you know, promising as well. Um, to offset that, though, we've already um, hedged some of our, our commodities, for, especially for the first half of this year. So while commodity prices are much stronger in the first half of this year, we won't get the full benefit because we've, we've hedged a lot of it. But I think fundamentally, if you look forward in the second half of this year and into 2022 and beyond, absent another major shock, we think our, you know, our business is pretty strong. That's very helpful. Thank you. Again, if you would like to ask a question, please press star and your number one on your telephone keypad. Your next question line of Elise Falcosco with Industrial Alliance Security. Elise Falcosco, your line is open. Sorry, I was on mute. Uh, I apologize. Um, just a, a couple follow-up questions, and maybe they're directed towards Brad. Uh, could you um, just uh, give us a bit of an update on WAPTI Phase Two? Um, I, I know it's uh, it's complete, but uh, do you see that uh, sort of uh, any updates you can on that in terms of the volume ramp up? 
Sure. Um, thanks for the question. We uh, we commissioned Wapiti Phase Two in the back half of uh, of 2020. Um, so that facility has been up and uh, and tested out and is fully functional. At this point, there's not a, an immediate demand for the volume, so we are um, we don't uh, we don't require both trains to run. What it does do is provide us a real enhanced opportunity for reliability in that facility with the redundancy it provides. And certainly, as we go through 2021, we see opportunities to secure incremental volumes that will require that plant to occur. So it's it's not required today, but it's certainly a strategic part of our plan through 2021 and onward. Okay, thanks uh, for that reminder. And and the next one, Brad, um, I'm trying to get a handle on you know run rate maintenance uh, costs and partially for distributable cash flow. I'll say you know primarily for distributable cash flow. I mean, in 2019, I, I think we had 105 million, and in 2020. 29 2021 guidance midpoint is 30. Is there any way we can think about that in terms of a, a, lo a long-term run rate number where we incorporate, you know, some AEF in there? Um, and I think 2018 was it was in the 50 range. Comments? Yeah, um, it's a great question. I think certainly. You know, through 2020, we made a diligent effort to to uh, preserve capital and and certainly deferred a number of turnarounds uh, within our world. Zeta Creek was a classic example that was scheduled for deferral. Uh, West Pemina was another one that we, in our optimization plan, we elected to to shut down as opposed to do the turnaround. So we had really no turnarounds in 2020, um, driven off the. Um, you know, partially because of the pandemic and trying to reduce, uh, um, you know, exposure to the workers, but uh, but certainly also capital preservation. Going into this year, we have a relatively modest turnaround year with only the Brazo River and Zeta Creek turnaround, so consequently a small number. As we go into 2022, we are going to see those numbers start to creep up. Uh, AEF outage is planned for 2022. And, uh, and certainly as we go out in time, some of the larger facilities will start to see turnarounds as you go into the Strakens and, and Rimbies, et cetera. So, so I think we're in a bit of a valley right here uh, relative, but it's going to be very difficult to predict a run rate basis because of the lumpiness of the large turnarounds and how they kind of enter into our maintenance capital schedule. Yeah, okay. but clearly, okay. clearly our run rate would be lower than what it was your point before, yeah. just given the number of optimized correct stations that we have right yeah. now. Yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, that that aligns with my thinking. Um, maybe one last question, um, and it, it's not tremendously large uh, in, in the scheme of things. One of the salt cavern storage facilities was deferred. Uh, and I still think is deferred. Is there any plans to bring that back? Um, Yeah, again, it uh, just boils back to capital allocation, and and again, just just um, us being able to contract that, uh, you know, the and, and underpin the investment for that um, that that next cavern. So, you know, I would say that our storage services are um, <clears throat> are in still very high demand. We are the largest. Uh, we have the largest storage underground storage position in in Alberta, and um, you know, I'll, uh, I'll maybe a, a good. Uh, 
analogy is, you know, if you look at last year when um, when a million barrels of crude oil went offline out of the oil sands, uh, you know, the oil sands producers are still have contracts to buy condensate, but also there's a commercial angle there. So not only operationally do they have to store that that condensate somewhere because it doesn't need to go up to the oil sands, but commercially um, they really appreciated being able to buy all that cheap condensate at less than ten bucks and store it in our caverns. And uh, obviously that's a big input cost for them. So you know, even though that they may not be flowing uh, or, or delivering a lot of uh, crude oil, I mean, it just explains the, the value of the of the uh, storage uh, caverns that we have and and why they uh, why they contract for them. So, again, you know, it's a very valuable service. Um, we will be disciplined about any uh, capital investments, including our storage. But uh, again, when we have the demand where we can contract it, we'll uh, we'll start the next cavern. Great. Thank, thank you very much for uh, that caller, and I'll turn it back. And no other questions at this time. Thank you very much, everyone. Enjoy the rest of your day. Goodbye. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes today's conference call. Thank you for participating. You may now disconnect. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.